Welcome to Sexy Confidence with Eva, the Relationship Maker, where we talk about relationships, dating, life, and successes. And every time I have a guest, it's getting better and better. And today, do I have a treat for you? If you have any questions regarding today's show or the rest of the other shows, you can um, ask me a question on my website, evatherelationshipmaker.com. Let me introduce my guest, Sibusiso Vilane. He has quieter rap shit in a good way. He has an amazing achievements. He was born in 1970s in South Africa. He's a motivational speaker and the author of the book, To the Top from Nowhere. He's an adventurer, marathon runner, a mountaineer, and expedition leader. He has also served as the chief scout of Scouts South Africa. He's also one of the first black South African or African uh, men who climbed twice Mount Everest, once the south side and once the north side. He went to school in Swaziland and he began his uh, career working as a game ranger at Marolocha Nature Reserve in Swaziland in 1993, where he met his benefactor, uh, John Doble, who became a friend and who uh, was the major uh, founder for his climb on Mount Everest. So let's see, he climbed Mount Kilimanjaro in 1999, uh, Mount Everest in 2003, the south side, and the north side in 2005. Aconcagua in South Africa in 2006. Mount Elbrus in Europe in 2006. Cartens Pyramid, Oceania, uh, 2006. And the hardest, I believe, it was Winson Massif in Antarctica in 2006. And to give you a little insight how many people climbed Mount Everest, they are only on uh, 5,294. This was until uh, January 2019. I'm sure there are more now. And uh, we are 7 billion people, so you figure it out, the ratio. And 300 people died trying to climb Mount Everest, so it's quite an achievement. After climbing Mount Everest, the South African president, Thabo Mbeki, congratulated him, and these are his words. In this, he has shown the heights we can all scale in life if we put our shoulders to the wheel and work at things without flagging. Sibusiso, you have done us proud. That was in 2006. And he was awarded the Order of Ikamanga Bronze by President Mbeki. Some of the things I have to read because it's very, um, it's very detailed. Uh, Vilani arrived at the Geographic North Pole on 12th of April 2012. This is the final herder to becoming the first black person to complete the Three Poles Challenge and the Seven Summits. Vilani has also become the first African to have accomplished Explorer's Grand Slam, an elite title earned only by a handful around the world. He also is very involved with many charities and um, 
One of them, it's the Life Life Energy, where he donated 300 uh, Lifeline radios to children. He also became the official ambassador to the Mandela Bengal program, which benefits the Mandela Day Schools Library campaign through funds raised from Bengal cells and donation to his participate for good expeditions. He also founded a club called Born to Win. He runs a radio show, uh, the title is My Climb, Your Climb, and he interviews black achievers about the challenges they face and overcome in their careers and their lives. Incredible. Also, he's a patron of an endangered wildlife trust conservation leadership group. In uh, 2011, Sibu was introduced to the Queen of the United Kingdom at the reception in Buckingham Palace. The reception was held to acknowledge those involved in mountaineering, adventurer, and exploration. And he had his one of his best friends at, uh, at this event, Sir Ranulph Fins. Sibusiso is married, has four children, three girls, and one son. You are still involved in charities, right? The Mandela? Yes. The Mandela charity? Yes, yes. I, 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 yes, I am still involved in, uh, in charity work, and it comes in many facets. Um, every year now, from since 2012, I, I join a group of people who climb Kilimanjaro for Mandela Day, because we are all encouraged um, that during the month of July, which is the month that has Nelson Mandela's birthday, which is the 18th of July, that we spend at least 67 minutes of our time to do community and charity work. But I met a fellow called Richard, who then came up with a concept after reading that a number of girls um, at, at very rural, privileged, uh, underprivileged communities in South Africa tends to miss schooling days, precious schooling days, which somehow research, I think it was the UN, um, came up with a figure, a staggering figure of about 50 days in total that wow. underprivileged girls miss of their quality schooling because of lack of sanitary towels, san hygienic sanitary pads. And Richard thought this is a problem that needs to be addressed. So he asked me if we could uh, team up and climb Kilimanjaro to raise awareness about that plight and to raise funds and, and, and the product itself, which then we distribute to schools in South Africa. And it has been going very strongly since 2012. Um, he, his target was to reach at least mm. 1 million girls um, up, up probably up until next year. Um, since we started in 2012. And it has been receiving very good uh, progress and, and success. So that's the one angle where I support charities. But my charity interest um, is as a matter of my upbringing, because when I, when I was growing up, 
I didn't have, uh, wasn't brought up by both my parents because they separated when I was about three years old. And my mother took full responsibility to look after me and my sister. And then she had met a man who became my stepdad, who then gave me a schooling opportunity because I was I was never at school until the age of 10. And um, and when I was 10, then he gave me the chance to go to school. And it was a kind gesture, really. He had a loving heart. And I felt that I would want to repay him one day by doing something good for other people. And I didn't really know what I was going to do up until I was climbing Everest in 2003, when a lady from Canada shared something very interesting and actually quite appealing to me. She said that she was climbing Everest for herself as a personal ambition, but over and above that, she was linking her name and the expedition to a charity closest to her heart. And when I asked what was that, and she said it was about children, and I said to her, how do you do that? And then she explained to me. So I thought, had I known about it on my first climb of Everest, I would have done the same way because I wanted to thank my stepdad and a Canadian couple who just joined their financial resources to help me during my schooling years. Because when with that opportunity, they had given me basic education which I could use to really take my life to whatever I wanted it to be but to thank them because they never said to me it will cost you so much I thought I would just influence myself to do something for charity just to benefit others and education means a lot to me so that's why for my second climb of Everest the, the reason I returned Everest. It wasn't because I wanted to climb it by another route or I wanted to climb Everest again. It was because I realized that I could actually use Everest because my name was now connected to Everest. I could use it then as the fundraising event to raise money, but I would then donate to the charities being the SOS Children's Village uh, and then a couple of and other two other schools that benefited from that what we raised, which was um, about half a million rands, maybe about what now fifty thousand mm-hmm. uh, dollars, which was um, it was money that I couldn't just yeah I couldn't just sign a check and donate. So for me, it was such a fulfilling expedition that I was able to raise that kind of money, people supporting it, and when I handed in those checks to those charities, I was so fulfilled because I had worked so hard to do it. But I just did it and I still do it just to, to re- because I realized that we all have a, a small role to play in our communities where we are in this society. And um, I found that if I do things for other people, I feel, I feel fulfilled. And, and charity work is what drives me, is what motivates me to do things. But yes, so I'm still involved and also involved with other charities that are conservation related, which are trying to help conserve our wildlife, um, uh, being rhino, elephants, and all of those. I'm involved with those charities as well. Thank you. 
you know, I got so excited that I didn't even say hello. I'm so happy you are here because <laughs> I just <laughs> wanted to dive in. You know, yeah. I checked out uh, the the place at, um, where you lived, and it's beautiful. I have seen the the animals, and I have seen the villages and the, the mountains, and oh my God, it, it's a dream place. I know we are living in a very um, me, me, me society. So it's so refreshing to hear someone who uh, gives from the heart and does things to help others. When you give to charities, you have all these people around you, all these tribes, it's a community. I know that some you build up the strength, physical strength to do something, but the mental strength that it takes actually to achieve what you, what you want, it's a totally different uh, subject. So did you have times when you said, you know what, I'm going to stop or I'm not going to continue or, or this is really hard. What was in your mind when you were climbing? What, was, what did give you that, that drive to go and actually do it? Thanks for that. Um, it is a very valid uh, question and, and comment and curiosity, Eva, because um, climbing Everest is, is hard. It is physically demanding. It is mentally uh, tormenting. So for a, a, for a person who, who had never really climbed any other mountains, it was very, very hard to even understand the magnitude of what the challenge was going to be. And, and I must start by saying that, in fact, when I, when I decided, or when I eventually got um, to leave uh, the continent, Africa, to go and climb Everest, I had not trained enough physically because um, I, I didn't have the time to do it. I was still a full-time game ranger in the game reserve, which is also a demanding job. So I never fully focused on a training program for Everest, but I'd always been very athletic. I run uh, and I ran then for exercise and I still do run. Um, so that is what I was very confident at my physical um, ability. So I arrived at the base of the mountain and I didn't know that it would take us near two months um, uh, to be on the mountain before I could return back home because I, I didn't really know why it takes that long. So when I got to understand that it was going to take that much long, it was very difficult for the mind to do it. But to answer the question, how do you, how do you keep going when things are tough? And was there a stage where I thought this is tough? No, I didn't. Not even one, one, no, not even one day, not even one moment where I either doubted myself or I just felt, ah, this is too much for me. I come from Africa where it is nice and warm. Why am I sleeping in a tent when it is minus 30 degrees? Why am I walking when I can't even feel my feet or feel my toes because of the cold? No, I didn't because the dream for me was so big that I realized that I needed to overcome these things to achieve it. And that dream was simple. My dream about Everest wasn't um, to reach the summit of Mount Everest. My dream was to stand on Everest to show the world and Africans themselves that anyone 
who has the desire and is willing to fight uh, and, and for what they believe in, they can reach the top of Everest. So with that being the message I wanted to deliver, there was nothing that was going to stand in my way up until I got to deliver that message on the summit. Now to share the mental um, challenges I faced was after a month, after near four weeks of doing what we call rotations, where you climb up to a certain elevation and come back to rest, to base camp, go back up again and coming back to rest. And I felt that I wanted to go home because we, we, we had been a month and all I wanted was just to get to the summit and pack your bags and go home. <laughs> but I needed to depend on weather because I was told you can't go anytime you please or anytime you want. You've got to have seven days of perfect weather conditions where there are no winds, there is no, no snowstorm, and it is much more warmer. And it does not happen like that on Everest, I was to learn. And, but luckily, we got a weather forecast after resting at base camp for about a week after our final rotation, which was at the end of May. We got a go-ahead to go for the summit. So you can imagine how excited I was that this is going to happen, get to the top of this mountain and go home because I was just sick of it. And we did. We climbed up to the top camp, uh, to this second top camp. But when we were to climb up to the summit camp, it's, the weather changed overnight to a windstorm and a snowstorm. Mm -hmm. There was so much pile of snow that we could hardly walk. We could hardly take a step further. So as a result of that, then the, the expedition was called off. We had to abandon the attempt and went back down to base camp, which was frustrating because we had gained some altitude to get to the altitude where we got defeated by the weather. But anyway, we descended back down to base camp and we were not there just for a day or two ever. We were there for at least 10 days, which were frustrating. Now, this is where the mind game comes in. Because your mind, in my opinion, it doesn't understand why are you sitting um, in a tent where it is miserable, where it is cold? Why are you not either at home or on the mountain? And that was the mind game that you needed to, to sort of uh, battle with. And it was tough because you tried to convince your mind that this is the way I can't go. You, we've got to be patient. We've got to sit and wait for another weather opportunity. So after the 10 days, we got given a go ahead again. So again, with excitement, I said, I'm going, I hope this time we get it. And we climbed to the dead zone, which is at 8,000 meters, where you, li you literally are dying really because your muscle tissues are cannibalizing themselves. You, have, you are so much oxygen deprived that you can hardly walk. So we arrived there at about midday, all excited and hopeful that we would set off that night. But the wind, in the afternoon picked up and the leaders of the expedition thought this wasn't going to be ideal. So they said, we are not going to go for a summit attempt. We will rest in the dead zone, risking our lives and hoping for the best that the next day will be perfect weather. It didn't clear for the whole entire 24 hours. But anyway, eventually we set off on the second day towards the summit and we were climbing progressively and progressing well. And I was just so delighted but we got to within 300 meters of the summit when another windstorm blew us off the mountain and sensibly realizing that we were going to die if we pushed ourselves to the summit, 
we turned back down to the to the top camp. And because my team and I had been two nights in the dead zone, we were forced to descend even further back down to the second camp and sit there. That wasn't easy to, to, to understand mentally. Again, we were also physically beyond um, physical. We were just tired. We were exhausted. Um, we were so much oxygen deprived, demotivation, demoralized. Everything was just there. It was then that you needed to remind yourself the big question for me, that is what kept me going. Why I was there? Why were you there in the first place? So when I started asking myself that question and I remembered the reason that I that made me to decide to leave home and to leave Africa and go to the Himalayas, then that became powerful because I just it re-energized me, realizing that I still had that message to deliver on the summit of Everest. It wasn't going to be anywhere else other than the summit. So that gave me the ability to stay and be patient until the weather cleared, which it obviously did, which then led to our third and final attempt on the mountain to reach the summit, and which we did on the 26th of May. But the amount of uh, mental uh, toughness you need to, to be able to do that can never be trained. You can never learn it from anywhere. I think it comes from within, it comes from understanding your purpose and it comes from understanding that these things will always happen. You will always have setbacks. You will always have the storms that you will contend with like a COVID-19 storm in our lives. I think once you remember that, then you, you stay motivated and you keep going. And that is how you can prepare yourself mentally. And the other thing that I did, Eva, which I can share was, I, I, I like referencing um, other people's stories in my head. So I was reading books about Everest and, and, and reading books about how other people achieved the goal of summiting Everest. And when I was on the mountain, I read two books. One book is called Into Thin Air by John Krakawa, which uh, he wrote um, just writing about the disaster of 1996 on Everest, where lots of people got trapped and killed in a storm. Mm -hmm. And the second that I was reading was by the first British woman to summit Everest, uh, Rebecca Stevens. Her book is called uh, On Top of the World. And I remember very well sitting at uh, Camp 3 in a storm where I was reading that she had to attempt three times uh, mm -hmm. as well. And, and eventually summited. So it was drawing strength from those, from other people's stories, but I was able to sort of build my mental toughness to stay and fight the storms and, and succeed, which is what happened. So I think it helps. Mental toughness can never be, as I said, it can never be taught. You can only uh, develop it by facing challenges. Um, without grit, you can never be mentally tough. I think my upbringing has had helped me because my upbringing was desperate. We, we, we were very poor, my sister and I, we never wore, we never, I never had clothes to wear. There were times when we didn't have food, um, but I think it was just through that, that, that I was able to grow this resilience nature and this resistance and refusal to quit or give up that uh, made me to reach the summit of Everest. And it, it has taken me to all these places. I am um, I'm not a giving up person. Once I commit, it's full commitment. I will say, 
it will only happen when I can't stand or I can't crawl. Only then will I let go. Other than that, if I'm still able to stand on my feet and take another step, it doesn't matter how little that step is, I will keep fighting until I achieve that which I set out to achieve. But it, the, motiva the motivator is knowing why you are doing what you are doing. Thank you, Eva. I have been talking to some uh, people who have achieved certain things like uh, uh, marathon runners across the US. And, and it's really like they're saying that sometimes they want to give up. But mentally, if you are not strong, you are not going to, uh, you are not going to make it. So that's why I was so curious because I know that the south side is, it's hard, but the north side supposedly that's one of the most difficult one. What is the difference between the south and the north side? The challenges? Yes, thanks. It is very true. Yes, it's very true. But in as much as I, I do beg to differ there, but I think because I think it, it depends on, on how you see it. Mm -hmm. And the reason I say I beg to differ is, is this, Eva, because I think the south side is equally as, 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 as hard. Well, maybe not physically challenging, but it is dangerous. It is the most dangerous for me as compared to the north side. The north side is safer, uh, in my opinion, because there are some areas or sections on the mountain that a really living death when you are there on the south side, particularly when you live uh, from base camp to camp one, there's an area called the Kumbu Icefall, which is this masses, uh, massive uh, um, frozen river of ice, really, which they say it naturally is moving, so you can't tell, but it crumbles every now and then, killing people. And there are hundreds of crevices along that stretch which people fall into and die. So for a safety uh, perspective, I think the north side is much more safer, even though, even though technically steeper and harder. But the differences are this. Um, the north side gets uh, the most of the wind storms because it is exposed to the winds. Um, the, and it, it, made, it makes it much more colder. And you are climbing more on mixed terrain, um, which makes it hard walk on because most of it is on rock like a um, slate sort of you're looking on this flaking rock that is peeling off and it is unstable and you're walking on um, your boots that have got uh, metal spikes called crampons so that makes it tough and there's a section called uh, the second step which can be equated to the healer step on the south side it which is just uh, this pile of uh, granite rock that is technically difficult to maneuver around. You need all your technical climbing skills to be able to overcome that section. But the biggest of them all is just it is weather ravaged by the storms and it is very exposed. Um, but it has got some, uh, some good advantages as well, in my opinion, having been to both sides. I think the advantage on the north side is that the camps are situated at a much more higher elevation, whereas the on the south side, the camps are situated at a lower elevation. So let me make an example of summit day. On the north side, when you, when you start going for that summit, you are at um, 8,300 meters, which uh, means you only have about uh, 500 meters of altitude climbing because you're going to 8,848. So that is shorter, it makes you a shorter day 
than compared to the south side where you start at 8,000 meters and still have the full 848 meters of climbing, which takes you longer. And some people don't make that. So I think you stand a better chance to summit Everest if you're starting on the north side, if you start at that camp feeling good and feeling strong, than you would starting at 8,000 meters um, on the south side. So, but yeah, those are the differences that I observed um, personally. Each one of them has got its pros and cons. So it's a question of what, it's a question of interest really, which side you want to climb on. Thank you. Do you think that um, climbing Mount Everest prepared you for Antarctica? You would have quit Antarctica if you would have not have that or already that challenge because Antarctica is much more colder, right? Yes, it did. Absolutely. Everest prepared me for Antarctica because it taught me what I needed to do uh, to be able to, to cope with the cold or the severe cold of Antarctica. So I knew exactly what to invest in, what equipment to have, what type of gloves and, and what the conditions would be on a daily basis. I knew that on, in Antarctica, they were going to be twice as much, as worse as, as they were on Everest. Because when I was in Antarctica for 65 days, I never saw a day that was a great day. Every day was just agony in Antarctica with the cold. But yes, Everest was the big introduction to how one can look after himself and manage the situations there. And as, as such, I was able to cope for that long. Wow. And how was that? Uh, was it more challenging than Everest or it was, it was different? The, the two don't compare much um, mm -hmm. apart from the, the cold conditions in this light, Eva. Um, when you go to Everest, you are dealing with altitude. So it's the height and that's your body and the altitude and storms, obviously. But when you go to Antarctica, uh, to what, what we were doing, uh, pulling sledges unsupported and unassisted, we were, it was more of an endurance challenge. And that was hard because on Everest, there are some days where you rest, particularly after you've done maybe a thousand meters of climbing, you are compelled to withdraw back down to base camp to rest and recover. In Antarctica, there's no recovery. Every day you've got to get up and repeat everything uh, for, for, for that long, for 40 days, 50 wow. days. For us, it took us 60 days of every day, working um, hard for eight hours on the trot, put up camp and get some sleep or try to rest. And then you start all over again the next morning, do exactly the same thing. So it is physically, Antarctica was physically tough. It was mentally taxing because you you just didn't and you didn't you, you didn't seem to be progressing even though you were progressing so it's much much harder and the energy that you expend in antarctica is way way much more than you would an everest expedition wow it's very interesting and uh, you are also a motivational speaker uh, when you go to speak what is your speech it's basically uh, every each person has their everest to climb that's, uh, that's one of the things. Uh, yes, 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 that's that. Um, I believe that on a daily basis, we climb mountains. And, and it was after climbing mountains, quite literally, that I realized that life is a mountain. Your business is a mountain. Um, every challenge, be it your career, it is a mountain. And, and yet the principles 
of reaching or climbing and reaching the summit are exactly the same. You've got to identify with your mountain. You've got to know how big it is. You've got to know whether you are able to climb it alone or you need people with you. And, but the best is to always have a team with you because the bigger the mountain, the bigger the team should be. So I've learned a lot uh, from climbing mountains that are simpler, that are easily applicable to our daily lives. And hence having come up with that phrase that each one of us have an Everest, as long as you are a human being, as long as you live, but it's a question of, are you ready to face it and then climb your Everest? And the encouragement is we all should step up into the plate and climb our own mountains. Whatever that mountain is, it will always be there. And uh, when I share with people, I just share with them that they have the ability to conquer their mountain because I have grown to understand or to learn that we human beings have an unlimited potential to conquer the mountains that we face. But it's a question of, do you recognize with the mountain? Do you know how big the mountain is? And do you believe in yourself that you have what it takes to physically climb your mountain? And if you do those, I believe it's a matter of just being resilient with determination, you persevere, you overcome obstacles, you never give up and you can fall. But if you get up and keep going, then eventually you succeed in reaching the top of your mountain. I believe we, each one of us, we live our lives on our own. We are, it's our life. So nobody can live our life. But is community important around to help to achieve uh, certain things in life? Is it? It is. Uh, community is very important. Um, again, I mean, I mentioned, if I use the example of Everest, we were, we were 12 aspiring uh, mountaineers but the team that got us to the summit of Everest was more than double the number of us participants at the end we were about 40 people we were a community or a team of 40 with our support team the sherpas the leaders the guides and each one of us playing a very important role to make sure that the expedition was a success i i believe that anyone um in fact, I think this was that old saying that they, that says no man is an island. I think we, we take it very lightly, but mm -hmm. it is absolutely true. Uh, we are here to share and it's a matter of us being able to work with each other and being able to help each other because each one of us have got their own unique strengths and abilities and capabilities. It's just a matter of tapping into those and seeing and, and identifying with what is it that you can bring into the community and what is it that you would want to get from them, then you join those energies together and then the rest becomes success. And life is about sharing common goals, common purposes, and we inspire each other. I, when people say to me, Sibus, you, 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 you inspire me, you motivate me, I say, you know what? I also look to other people for my inspiration, for my motivations. Therefore, we need each other. We are a community. And it is important for all of us to be aware of that and to recognize that. And because that is, that is how we end up broadening our horizons. It's when you know that you are never alone. You need others besides you, around you, to be able to stand a chance to succeed. Well, I think uh, the other phrase I like is that there is nothing of, of good value that is 
ever been achieved by one person. Great things come from great people and great people is made up of many people. We are a community by nature. So in order for us to be assured, we need assured ourselves to guide us so we can guide other people. Yes, you will always, you will always. It's, it's important to know your strengths. Yes. <laughs> no, no, you <laughs> Come wouldn't. on, come on, tell it. And what? Your strength and? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You, 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 would, you wouldn't, um, even, if, even if you, you, you had the, the desire and, and the interest. Well, there, there are people that have been able to do that, uh, but it is very few people that are able to just on their own by themselves start and uh, start from the bottom of the mountain and go up to the to the top of the mountain but even then those who claim to be soloists on Everest they still use the resources that have been put up by the Sherpas the ropes uh, the fixed lines and uh, the ladders so so in a way they have been part of it they've been helped um, you will always need some guidance and some leadership and uh, and there's nothing wrong with that uh, because um, it is when you are following other people that have done things that you are more likely to succeed. That's why even in businesses, they will tell you that you must have a mentor. What they're saying that you must have a guide um, um, that will help you in your business. So you will always find that some help will be needed for you because with help and guidance and leadership and mentorship, that means that sort of, it won't guarantee, but it does mean that you run the possibility or the chance of succeeding. Whereas without mm -hmm. the guidance, without the leadership, without the mentorship, then you definitely are doomed to fail. Then your summit of every or Everest will be impossible. Yet it's because you have not decided to work with people. Whereas if you work with people, then the summit is po looks possible. And it sort of enhances your self-belief as well. Um, if you believe in it, uh, have other people who believe in your vision and therefore you are able to, to go on and, and achieve it. So if, what's next for you? You achieved your Eva, vision. It's, it's a very... If a... <laughs> <laughs> um, I will never run out, I will never run out of things to do um, when it comes to um, deciding on the next project. What is next for me is to, to raise the funds, um, the finance, uh, finances to go and climb 13 big mountains, which are all in the Himalayas. Um, I don't know, that's a vision I have. I might not uh, climb all of them, but as they say, a vision is sometimes never achieved in your lifetime, but it is something that you day by day, think about it day by day, work towards it. So the mountains are there, I have the time, and the one thing that is still that I, that is missing is just being able to raise the, the sponsorship and uh, mm -hmm. probably meeting uh, high net individuals that believe in a story and in an African story. And um, who knows? Before I know it, I might be climbing one mountain. And I have a dream to climb the the first one of, of the thirteen next year about this time, which is the mighty mountain next to Everest and. Um, the, uh, the financial uh, requirements mm. for that is $25,000. So I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm working on it. Um, don't know how it's going to happen, but the universe conspires. They say it has power. It has energy. So whoever listens, if, you, if you're willing to help Sibusiso, you uh, climb the mountains, 
the, the other mountains because everything goes for a good cause. I'm going to leave you the information to get in touch with him and donate because it, it, it makes a difference, really. Yes, because first of all, we, we live in the communities. doesn't matter wherever you are in the world. People need some hope. And these, these are stories of hope that we share um, when we climb the mountains. These are stories where we encourage people who yeah, they are here, they need us to lead and to be the example um, to them that anyone can achieve great things as long as they have ambitions. So this is an ambitious objective or goal of mine, but it is an ambition that will help other people to be as ambitious because if, if, if a little kid sitting somewhere at the corner, in the corner of this world, reads or hear about another big mountain that I've climbed and they look at my background where I started, I'm sure that it, it encourages them to just want to go and achieve things. And that's why we do what we do. And over and above that, Eva, um, I do these things to save certain causes. If someone came to me and said, Sibu Siso, here's $25,000. I would like you to go and climb the mountain and I want us to support a charity of my choice. I'm very open to people to decide at, at what charity we can use the expedition to raise awareness about or for or funds for, because it is the why we do these things that keeps us going, that keeps us more motivated, because there's nothing that can take you to the top of a mountain which is dangerous, cold, long, other than being a goal that is bigger than you. And um, through these expeditions, we support individuals, we encourage education, um, we build libraries and we put books that just to allow people to have access to information through reading. So these are climbs with a purpose and a purpose to serve the underprivileged communities of our planet Earth. I am so delighted that you were able to, and, and that the technology sustained us because I had done some interviews in Europe and it did not work. And you are in South Africa and actually it worked beautifully. Thank you, God. So uh, I can't wait to, uh, to put this uh, interview up. And uh, I have some ideas. We're going to be in touch. I have some ideas. And uh, I know I'm going to uh, see you and talk to you in the future. When this is done, I'm, I'm going to finish the whole um, video. I send you a, a copy of it so you can use thank it. Thank you very if, much. Okay, so if you want to use it. And thank you so much. Thank you for all your work. Thank you for, for being an inspiration for young people and I, I'm, I'm getting uh, emotional because when you were talking about the, the strength that it takes, mental strength, how you conquered everything and you did everything you wanted in your life. But isn't it life about really living your life and you are doing it so well? Thank you so much. Thank you, Eva. Thank you. Thank you very much, Eva. I appreciate your time. Thank you very much for having me this evening. And uh, you, you know why the, the, the internet or the network worked? is because my mother, when she gave me my name, she was prophetic. My name means blessing. So we were blessed with the network today and it worked so perfectly. And thank, thank you, you very much indeed. I appreciate your time.
Have a good evening. I look forward to our further engagements. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. This was an amazing treat for me and I hope for you too. I, I'm so touched by this interview that um, I don't even have words. So until next time, really live the life of your dreams. Goodbye.